Hi, and welcome to Follow's weekly message podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for his glory. Here's the message. Today's reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who are speaking maliciously against your good nature in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Well, years ago now, I pioneered a couple of mission trips to the top of Australia. We went to a place called Arnhem Land. So you fly to Darwin and then you take a three-hour light plane, kind of halfway to Papua New Guinea, and you will arrive there. And while we were there, we worked on two islands. One was called Elko Island and Tiwi Island. And we worked amongst, amongst the indigenous people. And it was really quite an incredible experience. At the time, the school we worked at on Elko Island was the most remote school in Australia. And it was certainly the most untouched place I'd ever been to. Absolutely stunning. And during our first trip, there were some young carpenters at Elko Island working on the school buildings, and they were very, very keen fishermen. And so the second night after we arrived, we went with them after dark down to the creek for some fishing. Now, during the day, that creek was like a little trickle of water, but at night when the tide rushed in, it was a creek teeming with fish and also with crocodiles. And so we had our torches and we kept shining them all around looking for red eyes because the croc's eyes light up red when the torch hits them. So it was a little bit scary, but a lot of fun. And 15 minutes after the rod went into the creek, one of the fishermen got a bite on his line. And after a long wrestle, he pulled in a six-foot whaler shark out of the creek. And so he pulled it into the shallows, and my mate Chatty had to go in up to his knees and grab this shark by the tail and pull it up onto the shore. It was an unforgettable night. One of those exhilarating stories that you just love to tell, that we pulled a six-foot whaler shark out of a croc-infested creek in one of the most remote parts of Australia of Australia. And I swear every time I picture that shark in my mind, it gets bigger. What started as a six foot whaler shark is now like a three meter great white. What was this big has now become this big in my mind. Because fishermen, like preachers, are prone to exaggeration. But when it comes to the gospel, I fear that we often do exactly the opposite. What is this big, eternally big, this great gospel news, we shrink it down so it's this big and we wonder why nobody's captivated by it. We've taken a four-part gospel that starts with in the beginning God and finishes with him returning to make all things new and we've reduced it down to a two-part gospel that starts with you're a sinner and finishes with you need a saviour and often boils the rest down to some dry legalistic rules and regulations to follow rather than a living dynamic relationship to enjoy. So far in this six-week series, we've covered the four parts of the gospel, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Today, we're exploring the topic of sharing the gospel, and I've titled the message, Sharing an Incomplete Story in the Wrong Ways. Now, that sounds like a bit of a negative title, and a better title could perhaps be sharing the whole gospel story in helpful ways. And so if you're a glass half full person, feel free to make that the title for you. But today's passage is a wonderful one when it comes to sharing the gospel. And it's taken from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 16. And so today I want to make two main points from this passage in regards to sharing the gospel. The first one is that when we share the hope we have, we need to share the complete gospel story. 
Verse 15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, our hope as Christians comes from the gospel. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. But when the hope we have is, I'm forgiven and Jesus is my saviour, while that's amazing, it doesn't adequately articulate the fullness of the gospel, nor does it point to our part within God's great story. Now, I want you to hear me clearly this morning. The truth of the gospel, that Jesus died for me so that I can be forgiven, is stunning. None of us deserve that. It points to the immense grace of God, demonstrated for us in the sacrifice of an extraordinary Savior. That while we were still sinners, Jesus willingly died in our place. That is amazing grace. That is undeserved love. That is supreme mercy shown to us as sinners. And it's truly magnificent because I deserve to die for my sin. And no matter how good you've been, wherever you are this morning, you do as well. And yet Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, the perfect human, God in the flesh, took our sin upon himself and died in our place. And when he stretched out his hands and said, it is finished, his earthly mission was complete. Our sin was paid for in full and forgiveness can now be accessed by any person who puts their faith in Christ. That is the central climax and hope of the gospel. And it's wonderful and it's magnificent, but it's not the entirety of the good news. In fact, it only makes sense within God's great story that we are now part of in Christ. And so what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is good news made possible through Christ, but revealed in his word from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. This is what we've covered over the last month or so. That we know a God who is so powerful, so creative, so awesome, that in the beginning he simply spoke the world into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was. He said, let there be the sea and sea creatures and land and all sorts of animals, and there was. He said, let there be a moon and a sun and stars and clouds and mountains and rivers and trees, and there was. And he also said, let us make mankind in our image to reflect the character of a triune God within this very good world. And so what we know from the very first book of the Bible is that from the beginning, man and woman were the pinnacle of his creation, the masterpiece within his grand design. And he created us to be with him, to enjoy all he's created, absolutely. But more importantly, to enjoy him, to be with him. And for Adam and Eve, that is what they had. They walked and talked in the garden with God, nothing hidden, nothing broken, everything how it was designed to be. But as image bearers, he also created us with the ability to think and make decisions. And in the garden, in the midst of paradise, the first man and woman chose to rebel against God, to do things their own way, to be like God. It might be more accurate to say they wanted to be their own God. And as a result, they were cast out from God's presence. Sin and death entered his creation and ever since has been reaping destruction on God's very good world. All creation, including humanity, is groaning as we wait for our final restoration when Christ returns. And the sad reality is that it's our fault. We can't escape it. We, we can't shift the blame no matter how hard we try. We may not have been in the garden, but we all contribute every day in little and in big ways through our sin. 
Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God. And if it all just fell apart until it was completely destroyed, well, we'd simply be getting what we deserve. But the great news of the gospel is that our God, the same God who created us in the first place, is also a merciful God. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, He is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He loves us despite the fact that we'd rejected him. For God so loved the world, all of it, that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. That son is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He came from heaven to earth and he moved into the neighborhood and he made himself nothing. He laid down his rights and his position to be crucified in the most shameful way on a Roman cross. And through his death and resurrection, we have conquered the power of sin and death, and he has launched the kingdom of God here on earth. Church, he has redeemed us. We were lost, but now we're found. We were dead in our sins, but now we are alive in Christ. The very same people who had fallen short, the same people who rejected him, and have chosen to do things our own way. He chose us before time even began to be his people despite all of that. And so now we can boldly approach his throne of grace in Christ. We are brought back into his presence. And at Pentecost for the first Christians, and at the point of conversion for each of us, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he's our helper and our counselor. That same spirit that hovered over the waters in creation now dwells within us. And as the spirit was involved in the creation of all things, he now empowers us and invites us as his co-workers to join him in his mission to recreate all things, to see his will done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as God's people, indwelt by the Spirit, through our generosity, our justice, through our care for creation, through our declaration of the truth, and through our love for one another. We give people a little glimpse of a future hope we have in Christ right here in the present. Heaven meets earth in and through the work of the Spirit in our lives, and we point people to that future hope we have in Christ. Church, Christianity is not dry, dead head knowledge that puffs us up, but it's living, dynamic faith that we live out every day. This is the good news of the gospel. And if we're not excited about that, then it's a sure and obvious sign that we have reduced it to something so much less than it's meant to be. And so when Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asked you to give the reason for the hope that you have, we need to be able to do so without shrinking it to the extent that it no longer captivates people. And so how do we go about sharing this good news in all of its fullness? Well, there's two key things I take from Peter's instruction. Number one, we need to be prepared to share the good news. That's pretty obvious. Secondly, we need to know the hope that we have. And so the point we've been trying to make in this series is that we've reduced the gospel and we've we really need to expand it so that we understand it in all the fullness of what Scripture presents, because if we don't, a similar reduction can be seen in the way we present the good news and even the power of the cross. In Alan Hirsch and Mark Nelson's recent book, Reformation, they make the point that we all see the gospel through the lens of our own context and culture. 
And if we don't believe we do, we're simply kidding ourselves, really. Like every one of us has a worldview and all of our worldviews have been influenced and shaped by our background, our parents, our upbringing, and by the influential people in our lives. And it's very hard to see without those lenses, which is why we need our minds renewed, as Romans 12 tells us, so that we can know God's perfect and pleasing will. But depending on where you live in the world, you see the good news of the gospel and the blessing of it in very different ways. Uh, in the book, they separate these worldviews into three main frames, a western frame, an eastern frame, and a southern frame. And the remarkable thing is that the good news of the gospel is the answer in all these worldviews, because it's relevant to all people in every culture, in all circumstances throughout all of human history. Uh, God's word is, is living and active. It's an incredible book. It's God's word to us. But in the Western world, the gospel is most often framed in true and false terms, what's right and wrong, and predominantly guilt and innocence, which is usually tied to an event or an action, I, I did something bad. And so our faith is most commonly viewed and presented through the perspective of legal standing before God. God is holy. He can't tolerate sin. He is the divine judge. Therefore, we are declared guilty because we've done bad things. We need a saviour. Christ is that saviour who takes away our sins. And through a relationship with Jesus, we are declared innocent by his righteousness, which is imputed to us in Christ. In other words, Christ's righteousness is given to us and it's accessed by faith. Now that's glorious news, but it's only one aspect of the glorious news. And when we solely focus on that one aspect, the gospel can become for some what theologian Dallas Willard called a reduced gospel of sin management. In the West, that has been our primary focus of the good news for those who view the gospel through that Western lens. And it's been profoundly informed in wonderful ways by the Great Reformation. But for those who live in the East, well, they see life very differently based on their culture. Their culture is not primarily a guilt-innocent culture, but it's more of an honour-shame culture. And so the worst thing that can happen in an Eastern worldview is shame and to be shunned or excluded from your family, to destroy the family name. And it's less about, I did something bad, and it's more about, I am bad, therefore I am shunned. And so guilt is about what I've done and shame is about who I am. And so that's the primary lens that the Eastern world comes to the gospel through. Now in the South, it's a little bit different. Places like Africa or South America, because of the governments and culture that they exist in, they most commonly see life through the lens of power or powerlessness. They're often you know, oppressed by dictators or overpowering and unjust government structures. And so the good news of the gospel for many of them is radical life-changing news in their culture where they often feel helpless. And so what I want us to see this morning is it's the same gospel, but the good news is received and impacts in different ways depending on how we see the world and what we're experiencing in life. The gospel in, is the answer in all of those contexts. And so the gospel is good news because we can be declared innocent and forgiven in Christ so that we have right standing with God. But it's also great news because through the cross, in a relationship with Jesus, you are no longer shunned, but you're brought into the eternal family of God where there is unconditional love and acceptance. You are a child of God. 
And it's also great news because Jesus came to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and to set the captives free. It's for freedom's sake that Christ has set you free. And through his death and resurrection, the oppressive powers of sin, death and darkness are overthrown. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the government will be on Jesus' shoulders and it will be upheld with justice and righteousness forever. And so all these aspects of the gospel are amazing and true and they profoundly change our lives. And therefore we need to present the gospel more widely and more biblically as we share it with others. And so it's important that we share the good news, not just from our own narrow lens, but from a more holistic biblical view. Because in the West, we focus almost exclusively on guilt innocence. It's kind of a bit like a two-sided coin. You know, it's a two-sided coin of fall and redemption. But the gospel is less like a two-sided coin, and it's more like a multifaceted diamond that sparkles no matter what way you look at it. It's the most precious jewel for all people in every part of the world through every era in human history. The gospel is eternally powerful. It's eternally relevant. And Jesus is the answer in every context. It's an ever greater gospel. And so we've got to ask the question, if this gospel is such great news for everyone, if we have the best news ever, why does it seem that evangelism, at least in our country, probably in the Western world, is less effective today than ever before? It's true that not all of us are evangelists. But it's equally true that we all have the responsibility to share the good news. So why is it often not as effective as it should be? Well, I think there's a few reasons, probably lots of reasons, but I can think of a few this morning. And the first one really is that we've failed to see the bigness of God's story and to understand our role in it. Therefore, we're not captivated enough by our reduced gospel to want to share it with others. You know, if you go and see a great movie at the cinema with a wonderful storyline, you, you want to tell everyone about it. You go and say, guess what? Went to the movies last night and we saw this wonderful movie. You've got to go see it. And yet we're part of the greatest story ever. And we often tell nobody about it. So it must be true that our gospel has become too small. Because if we truly understand the gospel story that we're part of, I mean, we want to share it, declare it from the rooftops. Because in the gospel, we are forgiven, but we're also set free. We also have great victory over darkness. We know in the gospel we are loved unconditionally, that we find purpose, that we have a mission with God, and that we have this unshakable hope to look forward to as we eagerly await Jesus' return, where he will come to bring his story to completion perfectly. And so the first reason that we are ineffective in evangelism is because we've minimized the good news. Instead of being in this incredible story we're part of, we've shrunk it down to some rituals, church on a weekend, some rules, and if we're honest, we're not captivated by it, so we just don't share it. But the second reason is probably even harder to face, and it's probably true for all of us at different times, but it's simply that we're apathetic. Perhaps shaped by a golden ticket gospel where we're you know, just waiting for Jesus to return with very little purpose in the meantime. And as we wait, we're kind of distracted by the things of this world. And well, sharing the gospel has just kind of fallen down the list of priority in our lives. But perhaps there's a third reason. And perhaps the third reason is that we're presenting the gospel almost exclusively through our Western framework. And in Christendom, where nearly everyone grew up going to Sunday school and all of us kind of understood the problem of guilt and innocence, that really worked. I mean, people responded. Billy Graham filled stadiums right around the Western world as they responded to the invite of forgiveness. 
But with the increase of immigration and multiculturalism and media, the face of Australia and other Western countries has radically changed. And this delineation of worldviews has been broken down and they're now kind of bleeding into one. And in real ways, the mission field has come to us. And our Western presentation of a reduced gospel is falling on deaf ears because they can't see the relevance of it for them. This is something that missionaries have always done. They've done this forever. They learn the culture of where they're going to, and it helps them present the gospel in a way that people will understand it. But in many ways, the mission field is now on our doorstep, and we haven't done that same work of contextualization. And so I really believe we need to make the shift and expand our view to see the gospel more accurately from Scripture and communicate more holistically the many precious parts of the ever greater gospel in a way that makes sense and answers the real questions of those we're trying to reach. Hirsch concludes by saying, This is not a new or different version of the good news. Rather, it's recognizing the multifaceted nature of the gospel and acknowledging our limited and reduced understanding of it. If we are to really consider what is good news to those around us, it's essential we embrace a larger understanding. We have to expand our proclamation of the gospel to suit, not make it smaller. The gospel's never smaller than we imagine, it's always greater. And so what am I saying in this? Well, I'm saying exactly that, that the gospel's always greater than we imagine. It's never smaller. It's not two-dimensional like a coin. It's multifaceted like a diamond. And so let's keep seeking God for all the magnificent magnificence of this good news so that we can share the complete gospel story and the awesome hope that we have through it. But perhaps just as importantly, we need to share the gospel in the right ways. Verse 15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Full stop. And a lot of people stop there. But the next part's incredibly important. It says, But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Does anybody enjoy that sound? Big thanks to Mainly Music for lending some of their cymbals. Imagine a a room full of kids doing that. It gets pretty noisy. But does anyone enjoy the sound of cymbals clanging? No, nobody does. Why? Because it's offensive. I can still feel it ringing in my ears. That's why the Apostle Paul uses clanging cymbals as an example. He says that we can speak in the tongues of men or angels, but if we don't have love, that is what we sound like. You see, a loveless gospel is really no gospel at all. That's why our bold declaration of the gospel, it kind of needs to be balanced with gentleness and respect. COVID-19 has been a really sad situation for our world. Loss of life, loss of jobs, loss of hope. Our world is hurting right now. And in times of crisis, where people can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, We as Christians have a unique opportunity to give an answer to why we have hope, even in the midst of it. Now, last week I received a text message from a lady in our local community who's a Muslim lady. I've met her a few times. I don't know her very well, but she's actively involved in our community and she does some great work in this region. And so she sent me a text and she just said, Luke, do you mind if I call for a chat? And so she rang up and 
Um, she said, Luke, I'm really struggling because I've been getting abuse online and I don't know who to talk to. I've got no one to talk to about this. And she said, I know you do a lot in the community. I don't know you that well, but I've seen the way you handle criticism online and you seem to stay positive. And so I thought I'd just reach out and, and see if you could help me out at all. And so we spoke for about 20 minutes or so and I was able to encourage her in the great work that she's doing and all the ways she's contributing to our community and, and not to be discouraged by people who have nothing better to do than to take pot shots from behind a keyboard. At the end of her call, the call, she allowed me to pray for her. And when I hung up the phone, I was just in awe and so grateful to God for the opportunity he'd just given me. I mean, of all the people she could have rung, even within her own faith community, she chose to ring me because she'd seen enough to see something different. Church, these are the opportunities we have in times such as this. And we need to realize that people are always watching and our behavior can powerfully demonstrate the hope we have in Christ. I believe it's an opportunity and it's just as much a test. And as I look at so many of my Christian friends online from all around the place, I fear we're missing this opportunity and unfortunately we're failing the test. For me, part of the sadness of this season has been the behavior of Christians on social media, bickering amongst themselves, using passive-aggressive posts to tear others down, calling other people names, ridiculing and disrespecting the people we're called to pray for and perpetuating the fear that is spreading like a virus online. And so I try and step back from all of this and think to myself, I wonder what outsiders would conclude about the church from the way we conduct ourselves. I think there's probably a couple of things. First of all, they might look at Christians squabbling amongst themselves and think, you know what, I've got enough issues in my life without joining a church. But they may also wonder why a group of people who claim to have an ultimate hope seem to be just as fearful as those who don't. You know, in all that darkness, in all the negativity, in all of the pain, we have a unique opportunity to be light. We have an opportunity to share this immense life-changing hope we have in the gospel and to do it with gentleness and respect. Now, don't hear me wrong. Social media is a platform for us to engage with, to contribute to discussion, to share our views, to stand for truth as we represent Jesus. But let me say this even more clearly. If our posture doesn't match our proclamation, we'll be completely ineffective, perhaps even counterproductive. Let me say that again. If our posture doesn't match our proclamation, we'll be completely ineffective, perhaps even counterproductive. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 to 6 says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Church, let's not share an incomplete gospel in the wrong ways, but instead let's share the complete gospel story in the right ways to point people to the hope that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the incredible hope we have. Lord, I pray that we would never minimize or shrink the gospel down to something we can put in a box and uh, rattle off with a few pithy statements. But Lord, I pray that every day our eyes would be open and we would have a fresh sense of awe at the bigness, the ever greater nature of this gospel and this story that we're called to be part of in Christ. It's a wonderful privilege. It's a, an awesome honor. And we are so grateful to you, God, for 
for calling us, for choosing us, and for saving us. And Lord, I pray that we would be so eager to share this gospel, that we would share all the fullness of this gospel, the magnificent news like a multifaceted diamond that sparkles every way you look at it. We thank you that it's eternally relevant in every culture and every era to every person, no matter what they're going through. But Lord, as we share this great hope, Lord, help us to take the opportunity we have in this season to do so with gentleness and respect, that not only our words, but also our actions would would really match up in a way that you would be glorified and honoured and honoured in everything that we do. Lord, help us, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. We acknowledge we need your help to do this well. And so, Lord, help us not to be arrogant or prideful, um, but Lord, help us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and to be people that are wise in the way that we conduct ourselves. We pray this in the powerful and life-changing name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Follow Online. To stay updated, go to follow.church. As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.